Hi, and welcome to Veterinary Journal Club. Uh, excited to uh, have my husband back. Uh, well, that sounds weird. He's never gone anywhere, but to have him back on the show um, and trying things differently um, because um, everything's a little bit isolated and uh, still wanted to do some journal clubs. And so even though my husband, as you may recall, is not a veterinarian, um, he's going to help me with journal clubs so that I'm not just sitting here talking at you without some sort of conversation. So thank you, Topher, for being here again. You're welcome. Um, so we are going to talk today um, about an article that came out um, fairly recently in JVEC. Um, sorry if you're, you're not into ECC, it's, it's kind of what I'm into, so that's where I tend to look at things. Um, so the, the article is called The Pattern of Mortality in Dogs with Gastric Dilatation and Volvulus. Uh, Claire Sharp is the, the first author on this one. And so, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about what they did. And um, I'm going to start with just my first reaction um, when I see that title is, ugh, another, another paper on GV. <laughs> Um, and that's a bit unfair, I'll admit. Um, but that is my initial reaction. Um, but I, I, spoiler alert, I actually, I really liked this article. I thought they did a good job on a lot of things. Um, and, and so we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But given that Topher is not a veterinarian, he's just married to one, um, I would love to hear what, we haven't talked about this yet. He read it independently and I read it independently. And, and so this is the first time we're going to be talking about this at all. There was no preparation. Um, so I'm excited to hear what you thought of this paper, Tover. All right. So I read it and I thought it was good and fair. And I'm kind of going to go through and got do what I got out of it. So reading through it. The, the first part, their hypothesis, which I think they actually had two of them for some reason, um, they kind of said that the median age of euthanized... Oh, well, I guess you should explain what the study is first. Oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah. Um, okay, so essentially what, what they're doing is they, they were focusing on the mortality rate for dogs with gastric dilatation and volvulus. Um, and, and why my initial reaction was ugh, another one is that this, this isn't brand spanking new, right? Um, we have a number of studies out there on the mortality rate for dogs with GDV. What they did differently, um, which I think actually gets to the, the ultimate point of their study, was they looked at not just dogs that were treated, but those that were euthanized. This is a conundrum we frequently face in veterinary medicine, is if you're trying to look at mortality rates for a disease and you include animals that were euthanized, is that a true mortality rate? Um, and so most of the studies that have looked at mortality rate in dogs with GDB exclude animals that are euthanized before they're ever treated. Yeah, um, that kind of that assumes that they were either going to survive or they were going to die, not that there was a certain percentage. Yeah, we, we just unknown. don't know. So because you don't know what ultimately would have happened if you had treated those patients, you just exclude them from analysis, right? right. To say, um, if we had treated them, there, maybe they would have survived, maybe they would have died. We don't know, so they're just excluded. Yeah, it's either 0% or 100% or somewhere in between. Right, but like for each individual patient, they either were going to live or die, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. So we, we just, we take them out. Um, and that makes sense, and that's actually what we should do if we're trying to describe mortality rates for a disease. This is a unique situation, though, and what they were saying, and, and kind of the point of what they're saying is, okay, but why are people euthanizing their dogs with GDV? Because reported survival rates are, are pretty darn good, actually. Um, so the survival of dogs that do get treated 
um, have been, you know, the, the reports, let me look, I think they talk about it here, but documented mortality rates range from 10% or, or almost 10% um, to up to maybe 25%. Um, those are pretty low um, for, for a, a disease that without treatment will 100% be fatal. Like, we, we, we all can agree that if you have a dog and you diagnose it with GDV, it, it must have surgery. But if you do surgery, better than three quarters of them are going to do great. However, a lot of them still get euthanized. And we all know that. Anybody who's worked in emergency knows that a lot of these dogs get euthanized. Why is that? If, if the mortality rate is actually not bad, why aren't more of these dogs going? Well, they talk about that in the introduction. They're getting euthanized because cost of treatment is kind of expensive. And most of these dogs are older dogs. And when you're, you know, depending on where you work, what the cost of um, treating a GDV in your hospital, including, you know, post-op care and, and potentially any complications, um, is going to be in the thousands of dollars. Um, sometimes if you're, you know, in a metropolitan area, many thousands of dollars. Um, but it, it's going to be an expensive procedure without a guarantee. Pretty good outcome, um, but not a guarantee. And the population of dogs that are getting GDV tend to be on the older side. So they're large breed dogs that are in the, you know, maybe seven to nine year old range, which for a giant breed dog, that's, that's a geriatric dog a lot of the time. So people are, are looking at this, not just from a financial standpoint, but from, you know, they are doing some cost analysis. I know that sounds kind of harsh, but they're saying, okay, I have a 10 year old dog whose life expectancy might be 10 to 11 years old, am I going to put $4,000 into this procedure to get three, six more months of life of, from, with this dog? And, and as hard as that is, that's the reality of what we deal with in vet med. So what these authors are trying to say, this is a potentially preventable disease, right? This is a disease that if we spend more of our focus on preventing this disease by counseling clients when these dogs are puppies and maybe could have surgery for a preventive gastropexy, like maybe we need to shift our focus. I, that's kind of what I got out of the, the gist yeah. of the study. But so, so okay. That's, that's what I got overview. from just like going through piece by piece with the paper. So first the abstract, what I got out of that was like their treatment is, is good enough. Essentially like the, the surgery works yeah. at a very high rate and maybe not, maybe not focus so much on how to improve the survivability with the surgery as yeah. to like teach preventive stuff like yeah I don't know like like in people oh people are dying of heart attacks we're really good at heart surgery maybe we should teach people to be in shape yeah it's yeah. kind of the thing sure I like that like probably whatever prevents GDP I think um like elevating the dog food and mm, no. weird things like that things that they say yeah they don't work they what don't you need work. to do is actually yeah that, i'm glad you brought that up though because those things do get out there like yeah. yeah feed the dog like this people will throw that out there but none of those things have been shown to actually yeah. make a difference but what you can do is when that dog has surgery for anything else if you're going into the belly do a pexy or for certainly for female dogs if you're going to spay them do a pexy. Do you know what a pexy is? No. Okay. So um, the pexy is just tacking the stomach to the body wall. Um, so in GDV, what's happening is the stomach is twisting on itself. Um, it wraps around and does like usually a, like a 360 degree rotation mm -hmm. and um, cuts off the blood supply and it distends and descends and, and that's essentially what kills them. But if you essentially take the part of the stomach at some point and you tie it you make a little scar and you suture it to the inside of the body wall, it can't twist on itself. Yeah. Um, is this so kind of like the Tommy John surgery of dogs? I don't know what the Tommy John surgery so is. So Tommy John surgery <laughs> is a surgery in baseball. So a lot of, um, I'm not sure where it is in the arm, but a lot of picture, pitchers will um, they'll get this injury and then they 
get a Tommy John surgery, so-called. I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I don't 100% know what it is. And they'll end up um, pitching better. Like, they'll have a faster pitch, huh. and um, they'll have less fatigue in their arm and things like it. So, um, so it's a, like it's not treating an injury, or it is? It, it was to treat an injury, but the results were so well of it that people were starting, like, I think kids coming out of high hurt. school were, um, were getting ahead of time. Interesting. Okay, that's not quite what I'm, uh, um, what I'm recommending. I, what I'm saying is um, that there is a surgery we can do to just tack the stuff. So I don't, I don't know about this, Tommy John. That sounds like borderline unethical there if you're doing yeah. it in children. But anyhow, I don't think it's unethical to do a pexy in a dog. Um, but to is prevent. it something that's like, would, uh, if you have a big dog like this, would you just go in and do it just yes. to do it? Yes. Yeah. So, um, for example, um, military and police working dogs. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly common for those dogs to get prophylactic gastropexies when they are young. Um, so be, the military and the police will invest sometimes thousands of dollars into training um, these dogs. And it's a lot of Malinois and German Shepherds, which are at risk for getting GDV. And they learned a long time ago, we're putting a lot of money into these dogs to then lose them um, potentially to GDV or to have this multi-thousand dollar surgery. If they're out there um, in the field, they're might not be time to get them to a hospital quickly. Um, but if they invest, you know, maybe a thousand dollars, might not even be that much, but say you invest a thousand dollars when they're young, you don't spend three to four to five, six thousand dollars when they're older and, and also have them. probably a lot higher percentage of survivability just to go in and do this. Absolutely. As opposed to the, yeah. you put the dog in the cage and you come back the next day and it's dead. Yeah, that's terrible. So, um, so military and police already have figured this out, that it's cost effective and you lose fewer patients, you know, fewer of these animals to just um, do the pexies in advance. Um, so, so that, I think, is the main point that the authors were trying to, to get across was that in this particular instance, if we're always excluding the animals that get euthanized prior to surgery, we're not really considering the true impact that this disease has on our pet population. Um, right, you're looking at the... the just how does our treatment skewed. do? Yeah, like, okay, we know that our treatment is pretty good. Like you said at the beginning, like the surgery works. We have a few different ways to attack the stomach, whatever. Like we can all have an argument about that. But like we know that if you flip the stomach back into its normal position and tie it in place, like most of these dogs are going to go on and do very well. But we're only considering from a how is our surgery doing, that that question has been answered. We have that, that problem has been solved. But the greater issue of still we're having, a, why are we still having so many dogs come in with GDV? Why can't we address the problem years earlier and just prevent them from ever getting the disease? Mm-hmm. That's really what they were getting at. And that's what I think is kind of fun. Well, yeah, it made sense. That's what I got out of the abstract. So. Cool. Good. That's good um, abstract. Then. And then going through the introduction, the first thing I noticed was, um, that's like the first sentence, it's the mortality rates between 9.8% and 234 I thought that was a really wide range. Yeah. Welcome to vet med. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So you, you, it's such be, a common <laughs> thing, but the range is like 16% right. percentage points. It's almost a fifth. Yeah. It's not very. So there are a lot of different reasons why that might be. And you'd have to go back and look at the individual articles that they reference there. So mm-hmm. that's probably everything that's ever been reported on GDB. So probably reports back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, as well as more modern um, well, reports. It, off the top of your head, what you say it is. I tell people um, there's about an 80 to 85% survival. So right, like so 15, 15 to 15. 20%. So I'm kind of in the so middle of that range. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I want to be honest with people. But I'm, I'm quoting like... If you do surgery, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not. I think that's what they everybody. have too. Yeah, so somewhere in there, that's what I tell people: eighty to eighty-five percent survival. Yeah, with survival. Treat, So yeah, um, wide range. And but then, it is a wide range. And then my next thing was 
like they talk about the cost, like they never say how much the surgery yeah. actually costs, but I think you said it's like 4000 Well, and dollars. it depends on where you work. Like if you're in the middle of like a, a super wealthy area in New York, it might cost $8,000, where yeah. if you're in um, a more rural community, you might be able to do that surgery for 1500 to 2000 But for you know, where you are, it is going to be considered an expensive surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the most expensive thing you can do, but it's up there um, because you have the surgery. And then those patients, they're sick when they come in. The average dog with GDV is pretty darn sick. Um, and so there are, you know, you, you would expect a longer hospital stay um, so than also after a unpredictable. stay. It's, there's some unpredictable. It's expensive and then it can be Yeah, there's complications. That can de- yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, not so it's like it could 4, be three thousand dollars. Yeah, it could be three thousand dollars, or it could be six thousand yeah. dollars. And right now, I don't know where your your dog. I'm like, I need I need you to be prepared to pay six thousand um, dollars. But you might leave with only spending three. Yeah, I think or that's the hardest part eight. for people with yeah. when it comes to cost. Like if people were strapped for cash and you mm-hmm. told them it was going to be seven thousand dollars, and it would be seven thousand dollars, and you're done, they could probably put it together. Yeah. But if you're going to tell them could be $3,000 or $12,000. Yeah. And you no, can spend $3,000 yeah. that is not going to be refundable. And then I'd be like, oh, by the way, it's probably looking like it's going to be more toward like five, six, seven, eight. Right. Like, That's a lot th- harder. It's so hard. It's so hard. Even but, though one's more than the other. It's, yeah. You know. I just need to know. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people, they want that sort of guarantee. Like, mm-hmm. okay, if I spend this $4,000, like, no, you still might not take your dog home. Like there is a, a one to two in ten chance that you will spend four or five thousand dollars and not take your dog home. Yeah. So you can understand why there's a high rate of euthanasia yeah. with that. Um, moving right along. Oh, they talked about the United Kingdom having a much higher mortality rate. They had fifty percent versus in their study it was thirty-five. Was, uh, I thought that was odd. Yeah, um, I, I could say all sorts of really terrible things about the Brits maybe at this yeah. point. No, I'm kidding. That's not real. What, what is an acceptable survival rate for a surgery? For any surgery? For GDD Yeah, just surgery? for like, no, not for GDD, just for any, like when, to, when you, um, would you would say a surgery is successful? So um, I think and not ultimately. not surgery. Oh, um, I mean, I don't really know because I think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis because um, it there is not an alternative with GDV, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if you have a dog that has GDV... Well, I guess I mean in um, procedure-wise. So uh, let's say everything, the, the outcome, if you don't do it, is death. So right. it's not going to survive. But um, if you have this one surgery for whatever and it's got a 50% survivability versus this yeah. one has like 85. That's up to the person who's paying the bill, right? Like and it probably yeah. depends how much money you have. I guess I mean as a doctor when you when would you like like oh this this surgery could save it but I don't put any faith in it. Yeah. So What's your number? that's not a thing. I don't have a number. So, but what I want to do is I want to make sure that like when I'm talking to the client, because it's not my call, right? So maybe, maybe this animal, like if I don't do this thing, it has a 0% chance of surviving. Mm -hmm. And if I do this, this, this procedure, it has a 5% chance of surviving. So you always just give to the client, like this one's a coin flip or this one's 85%. I say there's a very good chance that if we do this, your, your dog will do well. I can't guarantee it, but there's a really good chance. Or I'd say, Hey, there's, there's a good chance that we will do this and it's not going to work anyway, but I can tell you with this, 
it's definitely not going to work. Like this plan is terrible. This plan is slightly less terrible. And then they have to decide, is that something? So, you know, and the client is going to factor in all sorts of things, right? Like how much money is it and how much money do I have? So people that have all sorts of extra money are going to say, yeah, no big deal. It's it's worth it for a 5% chance. Mm -hmm. Also, they're going to think about, well, is this going to cause my animal extra pain? Like what's going to be, is it going to suffer while we do these types of things? They're they're also going to factor in, is this a two-year-old dog that is going to live for eight to 10 more years? Or is this a 12-year-old dog? Mm -hmm. Like we always say age isn't a disease and it's not, but it's a factor. Like it does factor in. And so people end up doing these sort of cost benefit analyses, like not consciously even, but that's what they're doing in their head. They're doing a cost benefit analysis and they're saying, I'm going to spend this much money and this is the potential return. Um, And it's weird to say that about something emotional, but that's the reality of it. And so I don't have a number that I say, oh, it's not worth trying. Now, if you say there's a 5% chance that this surgery is going to help, and there's like also a 5% chance that doing this medical treatment will have the same outcome, well, then, you know, and this one's a lot cheaper, mm-hmm. then maybe I'm just going to say, look, we can try either. And it, it's a coin flip, which one's going to work? Probably neither of them at that situation. Yeah. But there are situations where we say, well, I don't know if this treatment or this treatment is better. Um, and then you just say, I, I have no idea. Um, but Is there any sort of like a governing body that no. decides? So nope. I, I imagine, I think in in human stuff, they always talk yeah. about experimental trials yeah, and no, stuff along the, those lines. Yeah, no, that's because you have insurance companies that come in and yeah. they decide, they have um, they, they have different cost predictions mm-hmm. um, about, like, if I were going to treat all of these people, how much does this cost versus how many um, yeah, actual years do we get on that person? Yeah. Um, but And so, again, that's essentially what people are doing for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're making those decisions themselves, and we don't have anybody else that is going to quantify what this is worth in dog years. That's true. <laughs> I didn't know that. So there's essentially, like, no, nope. nothing's off limits. Right. And that is both a good and bad thing sometimes, yeah. right? Like, that's a really good thing, and that's kind of what allows us to move medicine forward in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times when, you know, somebody that has the means can just go on and on and on, and and sometimes that doesn't make us feel very good as the right. as the people who are providing the treatment. It might be like, I don't want to keep trying. <laughs> I think it's time to call it. Your pet is suffering, and I just want to let him, you know, go in peace, and maybe you guys can be there, and we can euthanize him very humanely, and it's a lovely thing. But these people are like, but I've got all this. I got this truckload of money, and yeah, I, I want to give it to you. Yeah, we know Georgia who's got yeah, this I thing keep trying. that'll do such and, and such. But it's, but it's also hard because I can't say that if, you know, I know what happens when I euthanize. I have 100% success rate with euthanasia. I've yet to have one um, not die, right? So my success rate with that treatment is 100%. Every other treatment, I can't say that about. It's the only treatment that I have 100% success rate with. And so, um, you know, to look somebody in the eye and say, if we try this, it will fail. We're not good at that as scientists to to speak in absolutes. Um, We're not good at saying this will not work. That's usually why you lose in the media arguments. I know, I know. (laughs) I I, I can't say that, like, I haven't said that to people sometimes. I have. I've been like, this will not work. Like your patient, your pet is going to die. Yeah. Well, there, there's some things like drinking bleach. <laughs> yeah. And things along those lines. I don't know. I could probably save some of those. Silver. Um, That's the, the new one. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it is really tough to speak in absolutes. Um, it, and sometimes we don't know what's going on. GDV is one of those situations where like, I know the disease, I know what's happening and I know what I need to do to fix it. This is what it's going to cost. This is mm-hmm. the likely outcome what do you want to do? Also, you have three minutes, go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it is complicated, and it's, it's a lot to ask of people in a very stressful moment, but um, it's one of the diseases we actually know quite a bit about. Cool. So moving along in the paper, yeah. I got that their hypotheses, both two of them, was they were saying that um, the median age of 
the euthanized uh, patients, patient is that yeah. right, mm-hmm. would be greater than the median age of the ones that went to surgery. Because yeah. I think they were saying that older dogs would be more likely to be euthanized. Yeah. And then the second one um, was that the number of euthanized patients would be greater than the number that would die in surgery. Yes. So, yeah. That one, I didn't quite get why they would make that a hypothesis. So, what they're, th- that's kind of, I think that's the crux of their argument. Mm-hmm. They're basically saying if we exclude all the patients that are euthanized, we're actually removing the largest portion of patients that die from this disease. Mm-hmm. And so, we're minimizing the impact of GDV on our pet population because more patients. Um, that that die from GDV are dying because we never even gave them a chance to survive, largely because of cost and worry about outcomes. Now, obviously, you know some of those patients would probably have died anyway, right? Um, and maybe there's something to that. Maybe those patients, and this is this is where I think the the study, um, this is probably one of its weakest points, is that um, we don't know. They, they did a really good job, actually, of trying to track like what went into the decision um, to euthanize and, and when was it primarily financial, yeah, when was it the other thing. However, however here's the big asterisk that I would put on that. I know, as a clinician, that when I am talking to a client um, about what decision they're going to make um, as far as to, to treat, to euthanize, so on and so forth, even without trying, even subconsciously, okay, I am probably influencing their decision. So if I have a patient that comes in and just my gut is telling me, holy crap, this one looks really bad, I'm probably communicating that um, unconsciously um, to the client. Yeah. Um, in the way I, maybe the words I use are exactly the same, but they're probably That's feeding also what off. they're looking for a little Absolutely. bit because you're the expert. Absolutely. But that is not something we can really capture and I guess in maybe, a study like um, this. For, for you, you're a critical ghost, so you're an yeah. expert in this sort of thing yeah. where the doctors that, I forget where they did their treatment. Was it just local practices? Or? Uh, there was, it was multi-institutional. There were, yeah, so yeah. they're probably not going to expert experts. They're going to just regular... Uh, maybe. I don't remember exactly. Um, but even so, um, like veterinarians are really, really good at getting that sixth sense and, and sort of saying like, ooh, I don't have a good feeling about this one. And even though the numbers, again, we give them the numbers, the numbers don't mean anything to the dog in front of you, right? Like you're, this dog cannot 75% survive. It's either going to survive or it's not. It's a one right, or a zero. Yeah. Um, but we still talk to people about about these numbers. And But again, I, I think I probably, and I, whether I want to or not, I'm going to convey some of my own concerns. Um, and if I feel like a patient is looking pretty good and responded well to my initial, initial fluid boluses, I'm probably going to just subconsciously or maybe even consciously, you know, convey yeah. a, a more out, uh, optimistic outlook to them versus did, did some of those, even though the people talked about it being money, were they getting some signals um, from the veterinarian? So I wonder about that. Yeah, that's um, actually a, um, a paradox in physics. Ooh, tell me more. How so, did you make this about physics? Uh, well, you're talking about <laughs> things dying or not dying, and that's Schrodinger's Schroding- cat. Oh, you're talking about Schrodinger's cat, But yeah. uh, that is... Um, Everybody knows that one. I forget what the theory is, but it's related to like quantum bubble stuff. Sure. So... <laughs> yeah, tell me about quantum bubbles. If you look at something, yeah. you're, you affect it. Right. So the, you're changing the outcome. Yeah. Just by looking at it. So mm-hmm. if uh, this dog came in and it had... You just heard a dog came in with GDV, you would say... Well, the odds of you just euthanizing it are this, mm-hmm. and the odds of it surviving surgery are this, right. and that's the odds. But if you look at that dog, now you know how old it is, yeah. you know what it looks like, yeah. so you change the probabilities of Absolutely. everything. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Bu- bubble theory. I don't... Bu- <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. It's been a long time since I did physics. 
Um, and then checking their uh, their hypotheses, jumping ahead for the yeah. paper, I got that their their second one. I didn't look at any of the the stats because it all seen where they did chi squared tests yeah, and things fine. along those lines. So they were all I trust those tests. They're not weird, funky ones. Um, and there were 116 that were euthanized, and then 63 that died in surgery. Right. So that's about half, and I would guess that that's that's pretty significant when you have yeah. a number like that. Yeah. Because the total population was, I think, 500-ish. Yeah, it was almost 500. And so yeah. they were right on that one, yeah. that there were more dogs euthanized than those but that died. But now the died. first hypothesis, um, yeah, I, they never really answered it. Oh, I thought they did. Shoot. So they give the overall median age as nine. Right. Um, but then in, they have in the table, they talk about reporting it. But the, the hypothesis to me was the versus the median that went to surgery. And they never give the median age of all the dogs that went to surgery. They give the yeah, median age. Yeah, they just are the ones that died. Uh, that survived. And then they, it's broken up into four. Yeah. So it's that survived, that were euthanized, um, during operation, after operation, and the ones that just um, died. Died, yeah. After the operation. So for me, all, all four of those should be uh, grouped together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had that, that actually. And um, it's hard to, like, looking at those problem. just numbers because it's median. It's hard to right, tell versus what the me, actual yeah. thing is. But the way it looked, it looked like it was, there was a difference. Because I think the, the median age for the ones that were euthanized was 10. Yeah. And then um, uh, the ones that survived the median age was around 8. So it was much lower. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of yeah. So survived to discharge was eight. Euthanized preoperatively was ten and a half. Um, euthanized um, intraoperatively was ten, and died postoperatively was nine. Um, it, I think because the ages of all of these dogs are pretty darn skewed, um, mm-hmm. I think it, it starts to get harder and harder um, to also that to the look at age that. is um, it's tough because they're not. They don't all have the same lifespan. It'd be like um, if you did the age of yeah. people from the United States and then you did the age of, say, some other area where people yeah. died at yeah. 60 instead of 74. Right, right. You include those. Well, a person that lives to 59 in right. a Labra- place, A Labrador's um, life expectancy isn't the same as a Great Dane's. Right, yeah. yeah. So no, it, it'd be nice yeah. if there was a, a way to standardize that, yeah. which is hard because... It is really hard. Um, like... Everybody has such and such dog that's not really that dog. Right. Like right. I, mine's a, it's a German shepherd. Uh, it's just a brown dog with pointy ears. Yeah. I wanted them to say, okay, euthanize preoperatively. How old were these? And then went to surgery. How old were these? Like that was the number I don't, I, yeah. I don't think was They don't there. really report it ever. But they did, um, they did report their reasons for euthanasia and cost um, was obviously number one. Age was not that high up there, um, but that's also what people reported. Um, and they didn't have that for every patient. Right. And I think cost kind of goes into age. It all goes you, in. Like, that's what I'm saying. You can't really separate it yeah. out um, because people would make that decision differently in a two-year-old dog than they would in a 10-year-old dog. Like yeah. that, that's, I get that 100% factor. And also pe- people don't know how long their pets are going to live. You know that with no. birds. Absolutely. <laughs> people get birds and it's like, oh, I can take I can take a bird living 20 years. Oh, it lives 50 years. Oh, whoopsie. Um, didn't, didn't know. Um, all right. What, uh, what other thoughts did you have? Uh, that was all the, the basic stuff. The kind of a lot that they talk about in the paper mm-hmm. is they, uh, they took a lot more 
um, numbers for um, doctory things. <laughs> what do you mean? Like there was heart rate and all kinds of things before going into surgery. I forget yeah. what they all were. Yeah, it's all been a couple days vital since I read the Yeah, I know. It's been like a week since we read this. Um, and they didn't include those in any of the hypothesis. And oh, I think heart rate was one that they had. Um, a significant result for for some sort of difference somewhere. Oh yeah, in the survived to discharge versus yeah. euthanized and died. Yeah. Um, and what I'm guessing from this, since they had a a large kind of a large population, yeah, they probably were expecting to get a bunch of different numbers that were all significant. Yeah. And then they didn't. Yeah, I, I mean, also like lactate. All of the studies that are out there talk about lactate. Lactate and GDB mm-hmm. are like best friends, and everybody loves talking about those. So you'd sort of be remiss not to to talk about lactate, yeah. or at least collect that information. And um, but they, they didn't find that there was a difference, right? Least. They didn't find it, but um, they talk about type two error a lot. So I think yeah. they're putting the numbers out there. So when someone later does um, a complicated meta analysis, yeah, they can use those numbers, yeah, and. Um, maybe find a significant thing because maybe it's they just didn't have a big enough number a large enough population to see a significant result yeah whereas it is a significant role it just doesn't show up yeah we just don't know yet yeah and that was something i was wondering with um papers like this so in the paper they don't have all the data points but if someone if someone were to want to do like a big meta-analysis most meta-analysis they just look at the result and they compare yeah blah 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 but you can also do them where you combine the data yeah because the data is essentially the same as wherever else you take it. Right. But it's just right. very minor cal- calibration sure. problems. Yeah, is, uh, some of that stuff. Is that someone that when they go online, can they um, essentially access their population data? Uh, not routinely. I know you and I have talked about this before, like in physics papers, like there'd be an appendix or something. Yeah, some usually of, when you uh, go addendum. online... And you could be like, here's every data point we've ever collected. No, that'd be the kind of thing that you would need to contact the authors for that. And... Generally speaking, you you should be able to get that. Yeah. Um, but it is not like just immediately available for you mm-hmm. to look at the raw data um, for everything. Now, there are sometimes like when you submit a paper that the reviewers might request, hey, we want to see this as a table or maybe a supplementary appendix or something like that. But usually, it's going to be um, smaller data sets and things like that. Something like this, I that would be um, unusual to see that included in the publication. Yeah. Um, something you'd need to reach out to the author if you wanted. Yeah. That. It'd be nice if they started including that because then then this paper would get cited anytime someone does a big analysis for that. So mm-hmm. that would help the authors and things. And then it's such an easy thing to put up with the internet because you don't have to print it in the paper. No one wants to read it. Oh, God, no. But if you want to access it... Nobody prints any of this. Everybody has online access yeah, to I articles I got to print anymore. it right here in my hand. I know. We killed a tree for this when we're bad people. <laughs> okay, so I guess to sum up, the take-home for me, and, and I think you know, the point of, of, their, of their paper here was that um, we need to start thinking about not just um, the animals that, that die um, after intent, intending to treat them, but also the ones that are euthanized because those, ultimately those animals are dying anyway. And, um, and so we're losing those pets to this disease and we should start focusing more of our efforts on prevention and talking about um, doing prophylactic gastropexies. We should um, start directing more of our efforts that way. That's, that's what I got um, out of the paper and that is uh, an idea I can absolutely get behind. So um, thank you, Dr. Sharp and company for putting this out there. Um, thank you, Topher, for reading something that is definitely outside of your your area of interest in your comfort zone and um, um, and for being on here today and, and asking some questions and bringing up things like bubble theory or, or whatever <laughs> it was called because yeah it was a good paper you know. I th- yeah. I really liked that um they didn't reach for anything yeah like the their stats didn't turn out significant for a lot of I'm guessing 
just by the yeah. the way it was saying. And then the one it's thing okay. where it did turn out significant, they didn't try to make it more than try it was. to make it mean something. It's like here's yeah. what we thought, and here's what we got. Yeah, there you go. Which is how yeah. science do. Do more pexies. Yeah. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> I know, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's my take home. Yeah, you can't put words do in Do more pexies. You know, I put them, that they were in my own mouth. Mm-hmm. I put words in my mouth. I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. Do more pexies. These authors <laughs> do not specifically say that you should do cosmetic surgery no, on your dog. No, it's not cosmetic surgery. You stop. Okay. That's where we're ending. <laughs> do more pexies. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully, you will join us next time. Again, if you have um, thoughts, comments, questions, uh, Topher, you can tell everybody where they're supposed to send that information. Cool. It'll happen in the outro. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Enjoy it then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. I'd like to thank my producer, Topher. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter or Instagram at Vet Journal Club. All episodes are available at veterinaryjournalclub.fireside.fm. You can email us with questions, comments, or show ideas at veterinaryjournalclub at gmail.com. And check back weekly for new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>